on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, though not such a great day for looking back on recent incidents of violence uh, by virtue of videos. We are going to be getting that uh, video release of the beating, apparently, of uh, Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. That's supposed to be released at um, uh, 4 o'clock Pacific time, uh, 6 p.m., what is it, 7 p.m., pardon me, Eastern time uh, this evening. And that's what the authorities in Memphis say the entire country uh, braced for potential violence, though the family of Tyree Nichols and... Uh, Honestly, all credible and responsible leaders, even including Reverend Al Sharpton, if you can put him in that regard, have talked about how that sort of violence would only be counterproductive to people who want uh, both justice and want an end to incidents of this nature. We will get to that and what happens next as far as that is concerned. There's also a video released of the Paul Pelosi attack. And uh, uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, and uh, does it seem exceptionally weird and strange? And is it fortunate that, uh, that Paul Pelosi, who's in his 80s, could survive an attack of that nature? Yes, it's fortunate. We will get to that in just a moment, too. Uh, there was also a um, mass shooting in in Jerusalem, and uh, this part of the increase in violence, people say in both directions, there is a, a profound difference to the seven people who were killed and the five who were uh, gravely wounded. Uh, they were wounded and, and shot in an ambush as they were coming out of Friday evening services, Friday night services at a religious neighborhood uh, called Neve Yaakov. I know exactly where that is. The, uh, the shooter, uh, was, was killed on the scene. We will get to that as well. Uh, first of all, the, uh, the Paul Pelosi story, what is so remarkable about this is that when the story came out and it's part of the sickness frankly of our of our culture which so much of which is based around uh, the internet and internet accounts and conspiracy theories there were all kinds of people who doubted the official and accurate account who believed that uh, Paul Pelosi was actually a gay lover of uh, the man who uh, nearly killed him in a hammer attack, which everyone can now watch on their own. One of the police body cams of the policemen who were called to the scenes uh, basically has now been released, and you can see it. And uh, this, by the way, is what that uh, footage uh, uh, sounded like. Uh, it's easy to watch. Actually, it's easy to be able to watch it. It's not easy to watch. It's disturbing to watch. It sounds like this. Hi. How you doing? How are you? 
What's going on, man? Everything's good. Hi. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is going on right now? I'm not getting an answer on problems. Bro, Ever fourteen ever send back up code three. Code three back up at two six. Give me your hand. Ever fourteen ever send medics code three as well. Okay, uh what you're hearing there is obviously the scuffle in which uh Paul Pelosi's skull was fractured. He's lying uh, there with uh, uh, in a puddle of his own blood. Uh, and the police who came to the door, uh, they, they saw Paul Pelosi. People asked, well, why was he wearing his underwear? And the attacker, David DePap, uh, was, uh, was wearing shorts and holding a hammer, which... Uh, Paul Pelosi had his hand on to try to prevent an attack. Uh, it's um, and then uh, they say, "Drop the hammer." That's what the police say when they come to the door. And by the way, the police came to the wrong address initially, and then they had to walk closer to get to the right address. And they knocked on the door. They answered the door, and they were standing there at the door. And what's strange about it is there's no violent struggle going on, which you kind of knew if you read the accounts before. Uh, there's no violent struggle going on. It, it sounds, it looks like they just could be two weird guys who were standing together, but not after a, a, the police say, drop the hammer. And uh, David DePap responds by saying, nope, and then immediately lunges to try to kill. And that's the only way you can look at it. Uh, Paul Pelosi, the husband of the Speaker of the House. There was also a release of the 911 call that uh, Paul Pelosi made. And what he's trying to do in this call, and it's kind of easy to figure out, is he's trying to alert the police to get them there without alarming the guy who's basically broken the window, broken into his home, and is um, basically threatening to knock, knock the kneecaps off his wife, saying to Paul Pelosi that he's waiting for her to come home to attack her. So here's what that call sounds like. I, I told them what is this? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help? Oh, well, there's a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back. Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back. She's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, do you need police fire or medical for anything? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Nope. Uh, there's, there's the uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? No, this they, is they usually protect my seconds. wife. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house protecting my wife. Uh, no, this is San Francisco Police. I, I no, I understand. Um, okay, well, uh, I don't know. What do you think? He thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. 
No, no, no. This this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait there for my wife to come home. And so, uh, anyway, he's on the phone. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He he uh, uh, he has this. He's telling me he's telling me not to. uh, He's telling me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Twenty-six. What is your name? Uh, My name is Paul Pelosi. Friday. Anyway, this, this gentleman says that uh, he thinks everything ought to, you know, he, he told me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay? Okay, Who? what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name is David. Da- the name is David. Okay, and who is David? I, I don't know. I, what's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, uh, he says he's a friend, but... But, say, you I, never, but you don't know who he is? No, no, ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop Zero, talking to you, okay? Okay. You sure? I can stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay. No, he, well, he must make a fail off the phone. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye. And then she dispatches uh, the uh, police. Uh, uh, look, uh, obviously, by the way, uh, one sharp cookie on the other end of the phone uh, with Paul Pelosi. More on Memphis, uh, on Jerusalem, and uh, on this San Francisco issue as well, coming up. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, the... uh, (laughs) Uh, apparently the public defender who is uh, working with David DePap, the assailant in the Pelosi uh, attack, uh, which is now everyone has been able to see, uh, you've been able to hear uh, the video. It's um, uh, the sudden lunge when the police officer says, drop the hammer. The sudden lunge to attack uh, Paul Pelosi is uh, is horrifying. Uh, for all those people who believe, and there are people who still believe that they are all over the internet, they have, they're all over talk radio to some extent. Uh, people who believe that this was not a legit attack by a crazy person who was identified as a crazy person, uh, was was deeply involved with uh, stolen uh, election ideas. He, um, uh, his previous posts had uh, showed that he believed that COVID vaccines were a conspiracy and they were deadly. He said the death rates being promoted are whatever they want to be promoted as the death rate. Uh, and... Uh, he said that believed that uh, January 6th was a positive thing. And in any event, he was somebody who uh, spent a lot of his time homeless and uh, uh, but following uh, a lot of chat rooms and other sources of extremely warped and inaccurate information. And when you see this video, the idea that this is some kind of conspiracy or people are play acting 
is is just impossible. Or the notion that this was a setup by uh, the Pelosi family or by the Democrats to try to win sympathy uh, right before the midterm elections. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi today uh, was asked to comment on the release of this video, and she is actually gracious and dignified about it if you consider what this would mean to her, to somebody to whom she has been married for more than 50 years. Uh, here's uh, Speaker Pelosi. So some, as you know, today there was a release of some uh, information. I have not heard uh, the uh, 911 call. I have not heard the confession. I have not seen the break-in. And I have absolutely no intention of seeing the deadly assault on my husband's life. Uh, I won't be making any more statements about this case as it proceeds, except to again thank people and inform them of Paul's progress. But that will be the end of what I'll say about the case. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's uh, Nancy Pelosi just moments ago uh, reacting to the release of this video. The, um, the, the other video that is going to be released uh, has the potential, uh, because people think back to the Rodney King riots, as they were called, in uh, 1992, and it was a horrifying time. I was still living in Los Angeles at that time with with my wife of uh, my wife of 38 years today is our wedding anniversary uh, so not one of the best times I was coming I was coming back from uh, uh, a trip where I was lecturing somewhere and they had to uh, not land at Los Angeles International Airport. They uh, landed, I believe it was at Orange County Airport, and then they drove us up on buses to where we were going because life was so disrupted. And you could look out at all of the fires that had been planted in, in those devastating riots. Uh, today there was a moving plea by uh, the mother of Tyree Nichols, who was begging for peace. Uh, remember Rodney King himself had said can't we all just get along uh, which uh, uh, did not work effectively to stop those riots here is uh, Tyree's mother clip 10 our family is grief stricken right now and this is very hard to swallow I just want to say this when that tape comes out, it's going to be horrific. My Lord, my Lord. I didn't see it, but from what I hear, it's going to be horrific. But I want each and every one of you to protest in peace. I don't want 
us burning up our cities, tearing up the streets, because that's not what my son stood for. And if you guys are here for me and Tyree, then you will protest peacefully. You can get your point across, but we don't need to tear up our cities, people, because we do have to live in them. And uh, there was more from uh, her husband, uh, Tyree Nichols' stepfather, Rodney Wells, uh, also asking for peaceful protest. Uh, listen, clip more by. importantly, we want peace. We do not want any type of uproar. We do not want any type of disturbance. We want peaceful protests. That's what the family wants. Uh, that's what the community wants. Uh, they're all kind of, I got a text today from one of my supervisors about an alert uh, telling her don't be in crowds tonight. We shouldn't have that. We need to do this peacefully. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's so tremendously important because other than that, uh, you can expect the very worst. I, I think it's it's unfortunate that um, Don Lemon uh, was making a comment uh, when he was interviewing the mother of Tyree Nichols, uh, comparing this to the uh, lynching, uh, the actually taking out and shooting of Emmett Till in 1955 uh, at the very beginnings of the civil rights movement. And uh, here's what Don Lemon had but to I say. I just have to be honest. Do you know Emmett Till? Yes. It's reminiscent of that. I haven't seen the video. I'm talking about what you saw when you went to the hospital. Oh, yes. 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 That was, that was terrible. And he's talking about the condition of the body. They made a very big point with the Emmett Till killing. And this is a subject of a movie uh, with a tremendous performance by Daniel Deadweiler, who should have been nominated for an Oscar. But uh, she had wanted an open casket so people could see how her son had been mutilated. The idea that this is like Emmett Till, uh, not a helpful analogy. No one believes that he was killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Very honored to welcome back to the show Congressman Trey Gowdy, uh, at one point a four-term congressman from South Carolina, and I think it's safe to say that uh, Trey was one of the most respected people in the House of Representatives on both sides of the aisle. He has a former uh, prosecutor, federal prosecutor in uh, in his home state and was a district attorney in uh, Spartanburg and Cherokee counties. He's also a number one New York Times bestselling author uh, of the previous book, Doesn't Hurt to Ask. His new book is called Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making. On a very busy news day, Trey, great to welcome you back to the show. I am thrilled to be with you. Thank you, and thank you for your uh, gracious, generous uh, introduction, which uh, 
I wasn't sure who you were talking about there for a little while. <laughs> well, it's 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 also this is a a wonderful book to read for people, which is everybody who sometimes have a tough time making decisions. Uh, I want to apply this to some prominent people in politics right now and decisions they may have to make. But first, if you can explain, and I do know the answers to this, but people out there don't yet. Uh, the book is called Start, Stay, or Leave. So start what, stay where, and leave what? You know, it could be it could be a job, it could be a hometown, it could be, frankly, a major in college, it could be a relationship. Um, I, I think that we have this gift called life, and the way the way I want to look at life is I kind of do what I used to do in a courtroom, which is start at the end, start with the closing, and kind of see what I want to empower myself to be able to say or to argue or to be said about me. And if we have our, our in our mind's eye what we want the end to be like, then we should make decisions that get us closer to that desired closing argument. And I, I like the word fair. That is the word I covet. I, I, you know, people are never going to say I'm smart. They're never going to say that I'm all that cute. But I want them to say I was fair. So do the decisions I make in life, in relationships, in jobs, get me closer to that desired closing argument. All right. When you apply that question of fairness, right now as a former prosecutor, uh, we are going through a uh, very anxious time in the country regarding the death of uh, Tyree Nichols in, in Memphis. And uh, do you believe that it has been fair for the five officers who are now indicted and uh, facing uh, second-degree murder charges. Has, has that process so far been fair and appropriate as you are watching it unfold? Well, I, I started watching it most closely the last couple of days. I mean, the grand jury, which is a probable cause finding, uh, found that there was probable cause on some very, very serious uh, charges. You mentioned murder in the second degree, aggravated kidnapping. Um, the best evidence, uh, the very best evidence is not what I think or any other commentator on television. It will be in the video. And uh, the video uh, has been described by law enforcement um, as appalling and sickening. That was the head of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, a guy that I think has been in law enforcement for 30 years. Uh, so it takes a lot for those of us that, that did it for a long time to refer to something as sickening and appalling, but we will know soon uh, when the video is released. And, and again, we're going through a trial right now in South Carolina where it looks like we know what happened, or at least people think they know what happened. But we're in a country where you're still presumed innocent and you're entitled to have a jury of your peers uh, make that ultimate decision for you. Uh, no matter how overwhelming the evidence may seem, that's still our standard and that's our system. And that's the kind of fair argument that shows you living up to the word that you aspire to. For your system, uh, which is all about the art of decision-making, that's the subtitle of the book. The book is called Start, Stay, or Leave. Uh, 
if you were to uh, apply that system to the decision President Biden has to make, and apparently he's going to announce that decision shortly after the State of the Union address on February 7th, the decision, should he run for a second term or not, how would you advise him to use the system you lay out for reaching a fateful decision like that? Um, I would I would say to the president a couple of things. Um, you know, he's he's a little farther down life's uh, um, walkway than I am. Um, he's uh, what eighty. I would ask him in the time you have remaining, um, how do you want to spend it? Um, I mean, we'll be lucky if history remembers us for a week or a month after we're gone. Uh, he's a president of the United States. The history will remember him a lot longer than it will me. But how do you want to spend what time you have left? I have this conversation with Tim Scott all the time. We're, we've got a third of life in the windshield and two-thirds in the rearview mirror. What, how do we want to spend it? And I would also encourage the president and anyone else thinking about running for president, why? Are you doing it because other people think you should? Are you doing it because of ambition? Or do you really genuinely believe, after proper introspection, do you really genuinely believe that you are the best person for that job? Um, And those are intensely personal questions. I've got a number of friends that will be asking them on the other side here in the next couple of months. I I also, and I write about this in the book, it cannot be that the only way you're successful is if you run and win. I mean, I I may have five friends that seek the Republican nomination. Uh, None (laughs) of the five may get it. That does not mean they're a failure. It, It may not even mean they lost. It depends on what they set out to do when they decided to run. All right. When it comes to decisions and deciding to run and not to run, a lot of people were surprised that you left Congress after just four terms. And I say just because there's so many people who stay and stay and stay. You won uh, a race by 84 percent. Then you won in your last race by over 67 percent. When when your constituents are so strongly behind you, what was a key basis for your decision to leave Congress? It's not what I see. When I, when I visualized that perfect closing argument, it, it was someone saying something to my family about what I was like as a prosecutor, not as a member of Congress. I, I, I don't thrive in environments where the end justifies the means and the goal is to simply win no matter how. I, I thrived more in a system where there was a process, and you had to follow the process and get the right result, not just win. I just, you know, I used to say I wasn't good at it. My wife says don't say that anymore. So what I'm going to say <laughs> is I never wanted to be very good at it. I don't want to get good at relativism. The uh, book is uh, uh, shows that he's gotten very good as a writer. He has a previous number one bestseller, Doesn't Hurt to Ask, and a, another book that he did together with Senator Tim Scott, uh, his colleague and friend from South Carolina. We will be right back with Trey Gowdy. The uh, title of his new book, uh, already an Amazon bestseller, the title of his new book is uh, Start, Stay, or leave. And uh, to 
leave, uh, uh, that's pretty clear. But what does it mean to start? To start what exactly? We will get to that and more with uh, former congressman, uh, now Fox News popular host, uh, Trey Gowdy. We'll be right back. The Michael Medved Show, all across America. It's an honor to talk to you because I think you got the best talk show in the, in the United States. Thank uh, you. I agree. This is The Michael Medved Show. The name of the book is Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making. The author is uh, Trey Gowdy, who uh, decided to leave uh, Congress after four terms. Uh, what was the, the way that the process that you described for making decisions uh, led to that decision to uh, leave Congress and uh, and and also, do you miss part of it? Uh, was there part of you when when they were deciding about uh, who would be the Speaker of the House and they went through fifteen ballots and <laughs> it went on? Were 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 you somehow sorry you weren't part of that process? I'm going to be honest with you. There were moments. I watched more C-SPAN that week than I've watched in the entirety of the rest of my life. I, <laughs> I, I did, and I was cheering with another colleague who left, John Ratcliffe from Texas. Uh, uh, he and I are dear friends. Uh, I was cheering with him because Kevin McCarthy was one of my closest friends when I was there. He still is. I still talk to him on a regular basis. Uh, not about what he does or, or what I do. I mean, Kevin is the first one to call my mom on her birthday. He calls my wife on our anniversary. I mean, he beats me to it. And I, so part of me wished that I could have been on the floor, not that I could have changed anyone's mind, but to just offer friendship and comfort to a friend. But then I kind of jog myself back to reality and say, okay, but then you got to wake up and, and, and you got like two more years. I mean, the State of the Union is fun to watch. It's one night, and then you wake up, and you've got the rest of your term. Uh, or watching Jim Jordan, whom I love to prepare for hearings with Jim, because just watching the way he um, addresses his five minutes, I, I, I am fascinated by how people decide to use their five minutes. And I love working with Jim. So when I'll see him on television, I'll think, I'd be neat to, to have heard what he was thinking before he did that. But it's not worth the rest of it. So I'd be lying if I said I never wondered what it would be like to be there, but not enough to want to go back. And uh, in, in terms of not enough to want to go back, uh, you were very, and you make it very clear in the book, you were very satisfied, gratified, proud of your work as a prosecutor you work in our criminal justice system which is so important to so many Americans right now at this moment uh, how did the decision process work for you to move to something that really is very different which is seeking and winning elective office yeah that that uh, you know I get asked a lot are you going back and I always and I get asked why I left and I, and I always want to say although it would be impolite. Uh, what I always want to say is the better question is, why did I leave the courtroom? Not, not why I left Congress. Why did I run for Congress? 
it was excruciatingly hard to make the decision to leave. But you know, there there's a point in life, there comes a point in life where maybe a job is just extracting uh, too steep a price, that it is either interrupting your family or interrupting other relationships. It just costs too much to keep the job, whether it's travel. In my case, it was, it just took a, uh, a very significant spiritual toll on me to watch uh, just unmitigated depravity on a daily basis. And that's what I did was homicide cases. And I just, you know, in hindsight, um, I left too late. I, I, I thought I could get out and preserve some, you know, some little remnant of of what I grew up believing, but in reality I got out too late. I was a full-blown cynic when I left, so whatever I was leaving to avoid um, had already happened. But that's the great thing about making decisions in life. I didn't enjoy the work in Congress, but yet the man that will preach my funeral, I met him while I was in Congress, Tim Scott. I would never have met McCarthy or Johnny Ratcliffe or my friends on the other side of the aisle, many of whom I'm still in contact with, I wouldn't have met them. So when we look back on our life, maybe we didn't like the work, but we loved our coworkers. And so maybe the decision wasn't so bad after all. You mentioned Tim Scott. Uh, a lot of us think he might be a terrific candidate for president. Uh, can I, would I be breaching your friendship to ask if you advised him in, in that regard? Because especially since now you are the expert on decision-making because of start, <laughs> stay, or leave. Well, he, what are you uh, telling to Senator Scott? I, I, t I, know, I know Senator Scott extraordinarily well. So I know what he sees in that final picture. Um, and, um, and it has nothing to do with politics. Um, he is a preacher trapped in a politician's body. So what I would say to Tim is, does running for president, first of all, you got to define success. Is success getting the nomination? Is success winning the general? Or is success spreading your brand of optimism no matter the result? So you define what a successful run is. Does it get you closer to what you see in the end? Does it get you closer to, to what you want your legacy to a been. And if it does, then define success in your own terms. Uh, be true to yourself. Run as what you are and not what your, your folks tell you you need to be. If you can do all of that um, and, you, and, and something you want to do, then do it. Uh, I think most people want to tell you how to win. I, I'm more interested in, if he were to ask my advice, I'm more interested in saying, Tim, this is how you preserve that incredible good name that you have. I mean, you and I have seen politicians that in their desire to win, they become something they are not. And it's hard to wash that off. Absolutely right. Boy, is that true. Um, looking back, uh, and part of the book, Start, Stay, or Leave, is uh, Trey Gowdy looking back. What's the worst decision you've ever made? And why that mistake develop? I mean, the thing that I regret the very most, it was a series of decisions, and it was to not take my schoolwork seriously until I got to law school. Um, I viewed education as something to be endured and not pursued. And, and I know that sounds 
Um, I mean, that sounds crazy that of all the, you know, probably dumb decisions I've made in life, the one that I regret the most is I'm tr- I'm still trying to play catch up. The things that I should have read in high school, I- I'm I'm trying to read now. And there's a season for for that accelerated learning, and I wasted that season. I mean, you can play sports and have fun and still get an education, and I wish I had known that. I I, <laughs> I would have liked to have not just done better in school because I would have brought more joy to my parents, but I would have liked to have made better use of that time it's i mean i got seven jobs now two kids a dog and i'm trying to you know break you know 75 when i play golf i don't have time to do all that now but i did back then and and i squandered it and uh uh, last uh maybe the last question because we're running out of time um like everybody else, you've been uh, looking at somebody who would have been your colleague if you had stayed around in co- Congress, uh, George Santos. Uh, does uh, Is there a, a case, as far as you can gather right now, with all of the questions about him and the funding of his campaigns, and obviously the, uh, uh, yes, should he actually leave the House of Representatives of the United States? You know, I think what I would do if I were serving with him now is I would go uh, sit beside him either in his office or on the floor, and I would say, I don't see a path to constructive relevance right now. I just, I don't see it. Um, My advice to you um, is to apologize, Um, earnestly apologize, and, um, and, and vow to change and to privately reconstruct your life. Don't do it in Congress, don't do it in politics, privately reconstruct. The American people are forgiving, uh, but you gotta ask for it and you gotta admit that you were wrong. And Congress is just not the place to do that. Um, I had friends that got in trouble while they were in Congress and, and they came to talk to me, um, probably because I was a former prosecutor. I was also on House Ethics. I really do think people will forgive you, but you, you have to change. And you have to show some humility. And it's just tough to do um, when you are fighting for your political life. I, I, my advice to him is it's not worth it. Um, admit that you messed up. Admit that you made a series of incorrect uh, false statements. Uh, ask their forgiveness and go rebuild your life. But do it out off the public stage. Trey Gowdy, the book, Start, Stay, or Leave in This Greatest Nation.